We'll be spending our time in this part of our service in the book of Luke. So it would benefit you to have a Bible open to that place. Luke chapter 3. I don't know about you, but singing that last verse made me a little uncomfortable. Uh, What a great song. It describes a progression by which we grow from selfishness to selflessness to be full of Christ instead of ourselves. And uh, I'm okay with those middle verses, the some of self and some of thee. Uh, but to say all of self, uh, all of thee and none of self is, is a tough, tough thing to say. But that is our goal, and uh, I think the, uh, the point of the song is very powerful. So I hope you're thinking about those things as we sang that. Uh, Luke chapter 3, I want to begin, and uh, we're just going to uh, look at a number of passages in the book of Luke this morning that tie together by one thread. Uh, and Luke chapter 3 is where I want to begin that in verse 10. This is where John the Baptist has come preaching. And it says in Luke 3.10, The crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. So he is talking to the crowds about how they repent and then bear fruit worthy of repentance. And they ask the question, What shall we do? In other words, how do we respond rightly to God and the call to repent and the, the news that the kingdom of heaven is here? And he says, essentially in verse 11, Use what you have to bless other people, not to selfishly respond to others and their needs, not to assume that all that we have is for our own amusement. And I just want to remind you that that's the way God gives blessings. When God gives blessings, he doesn't just give blessings for our enjoyment. He gives blessings so that we can use them to his glory and to bless those around us. So when you think about all the different blessings God gives, God gives us health. God gives us time, God gives us life, God gives us relationships, God gives us money, God gives us talent. God gives us these things not as an end in themselves, not so that we can sit back and put our feet up and say, thank you, God, that was really nice, but so that we can use those things. And when we use them, we use them to his glory, and we use them for his purposes, and we use them to bless other people, which is one of his purposes. And what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning is one particular gift God gives and how God expects us to use that gift. We're going to say that with wealth comes responsibility this morning. That's what Jesus teaches about wealth as a gift from God. Now, if you read that phrase, for those who are raised in the generation I was, you immediately think of the Spider-Man movie, in which Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. I actually got on Google this week because I did not want to start a sermon with an Uncle Ben quote, and turns out that actually was said by Voltaire, which sounds a lot more credible, right, than Uncle Ben. But really, in fact, it took me, I was a little ashamed that it took me Google to realize that that principle is actually from Jesus. Because Jesus says in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The idea of responsibility attaining to a gift That that comes from Jesus, because that's the way Jesus gives gifts, and that's the way God wants us to view our gifts. So, I want to spend a few minutes this morning asking the question, what responsibilities come with wealth? What do we need to do when we know that we've been given? As Drew alluded to in his prayer, we've all been given a lot. And as we look at ourselves in this country, especially compared to other nations, you've heard this a lot. I think we get a little insulated from it because we're around other Americans who are also wealthy, that we don't realize how much we have. But this is, Jesus' principles here are not strictly for those who have a whole lot of money. 
fact, it seems that a lot of his disciples didn't have a whole lot of money, yet the way they viewed money still mattered. And so we need to see what responsibilities that wealth entails. The first is the idea of gratitude and humility. And that is the, the mentality that says, I don't deserve what I have. So when we're the recipients of blessings, we look at that, and God expects us to look at that by acknowledging that their gifts are blessings. They're not something that we deserve. We remain grateful and humble. And when Jesus and John the Baptist here, when they talk about wealth, they talk about it, about the assumption that what we have is ours, that it is for our enjoyment. And this is really the way in America we view our wealth. We think, I earned it, I deserve it, it's mine. Get your hands off it, don't ask for it, nobody needs it but me. And that is a problem, because when we do that, we fail to see that it is a gift from God. And so we begin to think it's mine, nobody can tell me what to do with it. There is a spirit of gratitude and humility Jesus expects from that. So look again at Luke 3 and verse 10. Luke 3 and verse 10, what shall we do? And he answered them, verse 11, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. So we have to be willing to share. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But what I want us to see is in this passage, there is a gratitude and humility that means I don't assume what I have is just for me. I don't just deserve it. If I have two shirts and somebody else has none, well, that's not because I'm better than they are. It's not because God wants me to have two and them to have none. None of that. That's what I would assume. That's my, what, that might be what I want, but that's not what God says about that. Now, sometimes Jesus expresses this idea of gratitude and humility in terms of comfort and consolation. That when we think our wealth is for our comfort and satisfaction, it's a problem. Let's look over in Luke 6. In Luke 6, he talks about this. Luke 6 and verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So blessed are the poor and hungry and the weeping and the hated because God says, I'll take care of you, you'll be satisfied later. But woe to the rich. Why? Look again at 24, for you have received your consolation. When you assume that your wealth is for your consolation, then you get the consolation, and that's all you get. Sort of like how Jesus says, you have your reward in Matthew 6. Same idea. You got what you're going to get. Because you assumed it was just for your enjoyment. Woe to those, he says, who have everything easy. Because when you have everything easy, he says, there's going to be a reversal that happens. Now, I don't believe Jesus is saying here that we can never have fun, we can never have acceptance, we can never have money. I believe what he's saying is if we think that these things are strictly for our own enjoyment, then we have ignored the principle of gratitude and humility about our wealth to say that this is not just for me and I don't deserve it. In Luke chapter 16, in Luke 16, Jesus talks about this by telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's another one of those stories that makes us a little uncomfortable uh, because it appears that the problem here is that the rich man is rich. But I want you to look a little more closely at it. Luke 16 and verse 19. 
Luke 16 and verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And you look down in verse 25. It says in verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Do you hear the reversal that happens? He says, you have received, just like in Luke 6, you received your comfort. You've already got it. Because you took everything you had and you used it for yourself to feast sumptuously every day while the beggar sat outside your gate, hungry and covered in sores. So, if that's what you're going to do with your wealth, then you're, you've received every consolation, every comfort you're going to have. So, I believe even here Jesus is addressing the idea of gratitude and humility. That it may be that my money is not just for me, and it may be that my money is not because I'm so great, it's not just what I've earned. Now, I mentioned already, and I just want to reiterate, this to me is one of the biggest obstacles in modern America for us as Christians. Because this is not going to play well in our time. The idea that I don't deserve it. Because America is rooted in the ideal that what we have is ours. Nobody can tell us what to do with it. Nobody can take it away from us. And it's about protecting what is ours. And Christianity is going to clash with that. Because Jesus is going to say, no, you don't deserve it. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, I understand in Deuteronomy 8, what he's really talking about is they're going into the land God's giving them. They're going to prosper there. But even then, even when they can look at their work and say, Look at my work and what I have produced. He says, God gave you the power to get wealth. The divine perspective is that you and I are born and, and it's not our doing. We're given life by someone else. We're sustained through life by someone else. Each breath we take is a gift from God. And then we are given the health and the skills and the ability to go work and make money. So yes, even when we make that money, we have to be able to say, I don't deserve this. I'm still benefiting from God's blessings. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. So there has to be a mentality then that is our responsibility to maintain. That even when we work hard and we get paid and we cash that check and we have our money, that we say, I don't deserve this. This is a gift from God and therefore it's still subject to God. It's not just for my enjoyment. All right, second responsibility that comes with wealth is the idea of sharing. And this is the idea that it's not just for me. That when God gives money... When God gives me wealth, he does not expect me to just use it on myself. You could probably already see this. We've touched on several of these passages. He who has two tunics, let him share with him who has none. And the idea of the rich man seeing Lazarus begging outside his gate. But I want you to see that Jesus really hammers the point that when we have, we're expected to give. Luke chapter 6 and verse 30. Let's look here. Luke 6 and verse 30. Luke 6 and verse 30 says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Give to those who are asking, he says. In fact, it's the golden rule, but applied to giving. If you had nothing and you were asking people for something, how would you want them to treat you? 
He says, now you apply that to your giving. You give to those who beg from you. In verse 37, Luke 6, 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, you get that image, right? Pressed together, shaken up and flowing over. Just think of what you would do to a, a bottle of soda. You know, you shake it up, you, you do everything to it, and then you open it. What's going to happen? Okay, the ideas of abundance. That when you give, when you share, God's going to bless you. If I have something to give, I have a responsibility to give. With wealth comes responsibility. Look in Luke 14 with me. Luke 14. Luke 14 and verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, this is when Jesus is at a banquet, Luke 14, 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he says, don't just invite people who can invite you back. Share with those who can never pay you back, and you will be blessed precisely because they cannot repay you. That is the whole point. It is an act of faith, in fact, that someday God's going to reward me when all people are resurrected. And let's look back a page to Luke 12, Luke 12, verse 33. Luke 12 and verse 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sell what you have, he says, and give away to needy people. What you do with your money, your willingness to help the needy, indicates where your heart is. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so you've got all those passages, a lot of passages. Jesus says a lot about this. I suspect some of us are thinking, yeah, I know I should give to the needy, but the people that I see begging, I don't know. I don't know some of them, I don't know, they don't, they don't look too poor. Or, maybe, you know, some of them will go use it to buy beer. Do you know what? These passages aren't talking about the beggars. The beggars have their own responsibility. These passages are talking about those who have, sharing with those who don't have. And it seems to me, I don't know the motives of all the people that would make those kinds of statements, but I'll just speak for me. Very often, thinking that way about people who are in need or who claim to be in need, is a cloak in my heart for greed. I don't want to give them my money, because it's mine. And I got things I want to do with it. And so if somebody's asking me for it, well, if you fill out these forms, and you explain very clearly why you're qualified to receive my compassion and money, maybe we'll talk. But otherwise, I got things I want to do. I don't say that proudly. I say that just honestly. And it seems to me that we very easily sidestep Jesus' statements. Now, I understand there are passages in the Bible that describe how we need to work. And if anyone won't work, don't let him eat. I understand. And, and that's something that needs to be taught on and needs to be emphasized. And for those who would try to abuse the generosity of Christians, that's a shameful thing. 
But, you know, if it's not one person who's in need, then it'll be another person who is in need. It'll be another person who is in need. It's not about the person, it's about our disposition. That Jesus expects us to say, if I have wealth, I have the responsibility to share. That's our perspective. One illustration really helped me with this. Uh, I heard this in a sermon. The preacher said, if, if you have two kids, and one of them has two cookies, and one of them has none, what do you say as a parent? And we have these kinds of situations, although we have three kids. Well, you say, give him one. You don't need two. He doesn't have any. Come on. Because as a parent, you're more interested in everybody having, right? And then he just asked the question, how do you think God feels? I give to one. He knows that someone else who's also my child has none. So what, what is the expectation there? There is a sharing expectation. Now, I understand some might say, oh, that sounds like communism. Jesus isn't talking about communism here. What Jesus is talking about is something that's a lot closer to home than communism. He's talking about greed. And the way we handle greed is to give. You cannot clutch your own things when you have your hand open to your brother. That's the point. So if we're going to have wealth, which we do, then we have a responsibility that comes with it to share. The third thing that I want to show you from Jesus' teaching is that responsibility that comes with wealth is preparation. This is the idea that I won't always have wealth. What I have now, I won't always have. And I don't think we think about that very often. I am not talking about, when I say that, that if we have money, we're probably going to lose it, that there's going to be a downturn in the markets, or that our houses are going to go down in value. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the time when all the money goes back in the box and we go to God. That's the time I'm talking about. Jesus says prepare for that time. Did you notice we talked about that here in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus talks about the idea of 34, of, I'm sorry, verse 33, the money bags that don't grow old and the treasure in heavens that doesn't fail. But I want to read a couple of stories here that really emphasize the preparation point. Look in Luke 12 with me and verse 15. Luke 12 and verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of, all his, abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this man is very good at thinking ahead. He's got his 10 or 15 year plan. His portfolio is diversified, although I think you might have to argue it's all in one thing. It's not too diverse. But you get the idea. He's set. And what does he say? He does not say, Okay, well, who can I help? What more can I do? Instead, he is preparing, but he's preparing for himself. I want to reach a point where I can say to my soul, let's put our feet up and enjoy this. He's laying up. He's preparing, but he's preparing for himself to enjoy it. And so in verse 20, God says to him, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The planning you've done, what happens to it? It doesn't matter, does it? And so he is saying, so it is for the one who's not rich toward God. Lays up treasure for himself. He's preparing, and we all do this in one way or another. But he's only preparing for himself. He is not preparing for the time when all the money goes away. 
And let's look in Luke 16. There's another story here that I think will be help us, helpful to us if we can figure out exactly what it's saying. Luke chapter 16. We don't have time to go into an ex extensive study of this, but I will read through it, and then I'll tell you what I think it says, and I think how it uh, contributes to this point. Luke 16 and verse 1, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd and they're dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, this, this parable has got some odd things in it. It's kind of weird all over. The hero is this lying, busted manager who got busted for wasting goods and then goes and lies about it. So that's weird. Okay, and then you've got, you've got some strange things in the parable. Let me tell you what I think is happening. You have a manager who's about to lose his job. So what he does is he goes and cuts deals with all his customers at his boss's expense. Okay, hey, you owe 100 to my boss. Let's, you give me 50 and we'll call it even. So his boss is taking the loss, but that customer is now his friend because he made him a deal. He's happy with the manager. And so the manager makes some friends. But I want you to notice why he does it. Did you notice that in verse 3? In verse 3 it says, What shall I do since my master's taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So here's what I'll do. I'll make some friends so that people will receive me into their homes after I lose my job. So he is saying, I'm preparing for the time when I won't have my job anymore. Suddenly it doesn't matter as much how I do the job as what happens after the job is over. I don't want to dig, I don't want to beg, I want some friends. So I'm gonna make friends with what I have temporarily. So verse nine, Jesus says, I tell you, his disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Use your wealth to make friends, so that when money goes away, the friends can help you into eternal dwellings. Just like he says, they'll receive me into my, their houses, you want someone who will help you into eternity. So, now however you take that, if you take the make friends to be use your, use your money to make relationships better, bless people, or if you take that to mean use your money to make friends with God, who will receive you into eternal dwellings, however you take that, the point is the same. It's about preparation. I'm only going to have my money for a little while. What matters then? It's a perspective shift. Now here is the concern I have. We are all, in one way or another, using our thinking about money to prepare for the future. Okay? And we do this where we prepare for, how am I going to get through the rest of this month? What are my plans for later this year? You know, how are we doing? Some of us have investments. Some of us have things that are much more long-term. Some of us have retirement funds and college funds and all of those things. And we plan and we plan and we plan. The question is, are we planning for what happens when the money all goes away. 
That's what Jesus says. In all your planning, you know, let me put my feet up. Let me, let me be ready for the next boom and the harvest. Or let me be ready for when I lose my job. He says, are you really planning for the time when all of it ends? And are we using our money to bless others and to honor God for that time? Now, particularly, Jesus has in mind the idea of stewardship here. That is, using our money so that God will be pleased with us. He says that because in verse 10, he talks about how one who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And he expects us to prove our love for him by how we use his things before we return them to him. But the whole point is to take that passion for foresight and apply it to spiritual things, to use our wealth to prepare for the time when there is no more wealth. And finally, the responsibilities that come with wealth is spiritual awareness. This is the idea that money can cause me problems. Look at verse 13 here, Luke 16. Verse 13 says, No one can serve, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So money will attempt to master us. And when we have wealth, we have to understand we have a constant battle on our hands. That battle never rests. We will always struggle with the proper place of money in our lives. If we're not struggling with it, that might be a point of concern. So, for example, we might be willing to do sinful things to get or keep money, or to lie or hurt others or compromise our convictions because there's some payoff for it. Or we might be willing to work harder at our job than anything else in our lives. Or we might be willing to allow money or work to take precedence over our family over our church attendance, over our health. And what we're doing is we're making decisions that say, really, money is the master. I've got to get it. Maybe I'll say it's four other things, but at the end of the day, it is money that's in control. And there are a lot of places where Jesus talks about the spiritual dangers of money. I'll just refer you to them because we're almost out of time here. Uh, Luke 18, 24 and 25 is where Jesus says, it's easier for a rich man... Uh, uh, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult. He says that, by the way, after he watches the rich young ruler walk away when challenged. Sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Now, in Jesus' day, the assumption was that wealth was an indicator God was pleased with you. Wealth was a blessing from God. And they were especially good people who were wealthy. And it seems to me we have a lot of that thought in America today. We really revere the wealthy, those who have a lot of insight or genius, the really smart people. We talk about how, wow, his investment sense is so good, or wow, his ideas were great. He's a great business guy. He's he's somebody really smart. We should listen to him. We should follow him. We listen to their political views. We listen to their advice on life because they have money, because they are successful. We think nothing in America of people being disloyal or dishonest if money is involved. We just don't even think about it. It's just natural to us. And it's important to say something about that. To say that Jesus says there needs to be a spiritual awareness that this is what money does. It just tends to corrupt us and our view of it can get away from us. So we have to ask ourselves the question, no matter how much or how little I have, am I serving money? Do I resent having to share? Do I feel that any extra I have is for me? Do I ever feel like I have enough? 
Do I believe I'd be happier if I had more? If I had to choose between a large sum of money and telling the truth, would that be a struggle? Would I be willing to sacrifice what I believe for it? Seems to me that we need to take a sharp eye look, not only at our finances, but how we're viewing our finances. Who are we sharing with? And particularly, what is God's return on the investment he's made in us? The things he's given to our control, the blessings he's given us. With great wealth comes great responsibility. With God's gifts come expectations. So, how are we doing with meeting those responsibilities? Hope you'll think about that. We'll be dismissed at this time for our classes.